0: Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing well-being information, inspiration and support for teachers, leaders and school staff around the world. My guest today is Lucy Rose. She co-founded Flexible Teacher Talent with Lindsay Patience. Lucy joined the profession as an early Teach First participant in 2004 and progressed to assistant headteacher. She's taught in secondary schools from being in special measures through to being outstanding. And she's seen that work-life blend and flexible working are essential ingredients to sustainable teaching. Lucy's currently teaching English part-time in a London comprehensive school and has undertaken research on flexible working as part of the Teach First Innovation series. As co-founder of Flexible Teacher Talent, she's passionate about changing ideology and practice in schools to prevent the hemorrhaging of exceptional teachers and leaders. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. you welcome. So lots to talk about in terms of flexible teaching. Could I ask you, what is flexible teacher talent? What do you do?
1: Okay, so flexible teacher talent is born from a frustration that Lindsay and I had with reaching a certain level, um, having our circumstances change, which for us was um, having children, um, and then not seeming to always be able to find um, a role that was at the same level, um, which would have the same amount of hours that we would be able to to offer. Um, And I think we were kind of surprised that that wasn't um, commonplace I certainly kind of was expecting to find a sort of job share platform where I'd be able to reduce my hours, but I'd be able to continue working at the same level Um, and was sort of surprised that no no such thing existed. Um, And Lindsay was looking at kind of part time leadership. And so we sort of met through that frustration and have then gone on to kind of look at flexible working in other sectors and like what we can learn for education. Um, The main body of our work is, we always talk about a kind of chicken and egg. So we're working with schools on one side to help them be more flexible and be more open to flexibility. And then we work with individuals who are looking to work more flexibly. So the bulk of our work is either working with schools or groups of schools in a kind of mat situation to help them push for a kind of more flexible culture. And then we have individuals who, who sort of come and say, I'm looking to work more flexibly. What's the best way about it? So that's the bulk of our work.
0: Mm. And why is it important now? We always go
1: back to some research by the Sutton Trust, in which just says the biggest impact on children is having effective teachers in the classroom. Mm. And so our biggest drive is, how can we have the biggest impact on pupil outcomes? And that's by having effective teachers in the classroom. Um, and in order for teaching to be a sustainable career, most teachers aren't going to want to be flexible for their whole career, but there are things which happen to us in life, which mean that at some point most people would want to have a bit of flexibility. And so in order to retain um, teachers for the whole of their career, you know, and that kind of the value that comes with um, an experienced teacher, somebody who's sort of been around <laughs> for a while and seen changes and reacted to you know new innovations and um, new research there's a huge value in that experience and to see it being hemorrhaged because we can't accommodate a little bit of flexibility is sort of shameful really as a sector and so um, I think it's I think it's kind of crucial that we ensure that if people are vulnerable, because it often is a vulnerability for whatever reason, so they've just become parents, um, they have an ageing parent, they're sandwich carers for both their parents and their children, you know, when those people are most vulnerable that we're looking after them, but also that it isn't just reactive to those kind of circumstances and that we should be inviting more people in and people who don't necessarily consider teaching um, because I think schools should reflect Society. And at the moment, you know, it it, it doesn't. Um, And maybe flexibility would be one way of helping to encourage that.
0: That's a really interesting point, Lucy, that offering flexibility could change the makeup of teachers. How do you see that?
1: So I guess um, we first came at it from being, you know, women in education um, and looking at the kind of motherhood penalty. So we got to a certain point in our career and it seemed like there was a sort of workplace lottery of whether you could continue at the level whilst also making choices like becoming a mum. We work in a female-dominated profession, um, and yet, you know, the top jobs are proportionately um, taken by men. Um, and so, and I guess, like, percentage-wise, you know, it's a 73% female population, and then 63% of teachers are male. I and mean, I think, and the proportion is even worse at mat level. So that's that's the kind of that kind of first level of the way that schools don't really represent society, right? So if we're right. firstly, it is mostly women in there, <laughs> then yeah. the men have the top jobs. Um, I guess Lindsay and I always talk about the fact that we are both we're both white women. We both look like we do. and when we talk to the other people working in this space, you know Emma Shepherd from the Return to Teach project, or Holly from Return to Teach or the shared headship network. We are all white women and we are all frustrated with the system. And so if we're frustrated, you know, you only need to know a little bit about intersectionality to say that there's going to be other people who, you know, are probably fighting harder and have been for longer than us. So that's another, you know, another string to it. And I'm not saying that flexibility is going to solve all of these problems. It's not a silver bullet. But if it is preventing the workforce from remaining in Um, in the profession that they love then you know there's there's definitely going to be an impact on on everybody um so we came to it from this sort of motherhood penalty thing but the more we look at it the more we feel like it's it's a kind of way of working that should be offered to everybody I don't want to go into too much detail about it because I haven't done um this part of the research but Lindsay has been talking to some of our kind of like limb different colleagues or colleagues who aren't able-bodied who may have more um so their work their work would be impacted on hospital appointments and the kind of appointments that they might need to have for their health mm-hmm. and so and that's this is like right in the early stages so i don't want to kind of speak as as an expert on that um but i guess we'll look at the more we look into it the more we realize that school doesn't you know make up the majority or it doesn't reflect society um and flexibility might be one way of kind of pulling in people who wouldn't necessarily see teaching as an option and i guess i'm thinking about people Um, Not just, you know, characteristics on the outside, but the kind of people that go into teaching. So we're thinking about um, like graphic designers who are sort of in the industry um, and then sharing their expertise or musicians who are able to kind of be um, in a session and then also come in and and teach in school. So there's that kind of bringing in a kind of expertise that we might love to have in the classroom, but it's usually seen as a kind of either or and, um, and sort of really bringing that richness to the children that we teach.
0: Mm. And to one word that you used a moment ago, Lucy, um, hemorrhaging exceptional teachers and (laughs) leaders. Could you give us some numbers around that? I think um, I've been looking recently at the education support research and something like 59% of senior leaders are currently considering leaving the profession. But I I know that a lot of people do. Can you give us some numbers around what these huge numbers of people leaving the profession are?
1: Yeah, so the second biggest number leaving each year behind people who are retiring is is women aged 30 to 39 and that's 6,000 a year. Um, We can't say that all of them are leaving because of motherhood, not all of them are leaving because they're having children but I guess the age bracket gives us an indication that a large proportion of them are and the only research that's been done into this has been done by Emma Shepherd at the Maternity Teacher Paternity Teacher Project Um, and she is hoping I think to publish some of that um, really rich data actually which will be really helpful in looking at that demographic and that equates to about two to three people per school so each year and so one of the biggest things that we say um you know we work closely with emma because that's the route that we came into but we feel like there's quite simple things that schools can do to help keep those one or two each you know if it's just one or two or two to three per school then each year if we're looking after our um our parent teachers and particularly our mothers as we are in a society where the burden of care predominantly falls on um the mothers then um we always say to schools if you're not signed up to the maternity teach project then that's you know the first thing that you that you need to do Um, Because that's just a surefire way of ensuring that those teachers return after their nine months or a year with a kind of confidence that they perhaps wouldn't have had if they didn't have the accreditation and the coaching that um, MTPT offers. And the great thing for schools is that when um, there's no additional cost, so the MTPT project is designed to use the money that would be spent on a kit day, so keeping in touch days, um, to help pay for coaching for those teachers. So rather than kind of come in, be in the office after a year of not being there, feeling a bit lost, watching somebody else teach a class that you might take over, you know, what's that day for? Instead, there's sort of time for firstly planning what you're going to do on that day, but also having coaching once you've returned to school, which is like hugely beneficial and retains um, those teachers in the profession and in that school as well. So it kind of increases loyalty, which is great for the school.
0: Yeah. And so practical, like that's a really, really practical things that that a head or senior leadership team could do and you you mentioned other simple things that schools could do so can you give us some more examples of what they could do or even some some examples of what schools have done
1: so one of i'll i'll give an example of a school and it's kind of a model that we um that we share and it's really the simplest thing and it's just to ask your staff what they want annually so, we know two schools who do this one that does it annually, and one who did it a while ago and has kind of off the back of that made changes. So, um, the John Taylor Free School, which is in Bolton, um, the head teacher there is Sue Plant, and she's an absolute pioneer of flexible working. She has ensured that it's kind of a pillar of her recruitment. Um, and I know that when she began the school in an area where they're struggling to recruit she put kind of flexible on the advert and to the initial meeting before the school was even built they had 400 applicants you know come like just interested in the school as a as a whole and we know you know statistically putting flexibility in your adverts um, and you can put it as broadly as you know we accept candidates who are interested in flexible working um, and that way you You know, you're not opening yourself up to having to kind of offer all kinds of flexibility that maybe you can't. But just putting flexibility in an advert um, can increase or I think the the average is increased by up to 15 percent of of applicants. So that's one thing that you can do. Um, The second thing that Sue does is each year she'll have uh, a meeting with her her teachers um, and talk to them about what their needs are going to be for the next year. And also, you know, looking at the picture of the school. So annually, this is reviewed because people's circumstances change. Um, And so having that conversation regularly with your staff is really, really helpful and really proactive. You know, you're able to kind of take the best of them um, as well as looking at the priorities of the school. So it stops it being a sort of reactive process. People coming to you and saying, I'm going to need this. It's much more proactive and kind of talking and and working with them Um, because of so having talked to Sue right at the beginning of her journey in her school um, and then looking at how flexibility works in other sectors when we work with a school and um, we know that the biggest like uh, like the biggest factor that affects whether a school is going to take on flexibility or not is the opinion of the head teacher and we kind of knew it anecdotally and then we're very grateful to the Nfer who do research like this and then helpfully back us up with (laughs) with this kind of research Um, and they say that's the biggest the biggest single factor is the opinion of the head teacher and when we talk to head teachers they always cite the same things so they've had a bad experience in the past it will open the floodgates and um, the timetable be will be impossible Um, and so the 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 big way to mitigate against that floodgates thing is to say well have you ever actually asked your staff you know, what if you just asked them? Nothing. What, the, what's the worst that could happen? Um, and and staff, like head teachers, are so overwhelmingly surprised by what is requested. There's, I think there's a kind of fear that everyone's going to ask for Fridays off and a four day week. Um, but we're teachers and we get like a bulk of time every six to eight weeks off. So we don't need that kind of flexibility that somebody who's only got 25 days of holiday a year needs. Um, and I've I from my personal experience I've worked sometimes I've had kind of one day on one day off one day on one day off and that's worked for you know a huge for certain times in my life that's been absolutely perfect and certain schools it's much better to kind of have a run of a few days and then have days away so and I I think that changes you know that changes with your circumstance and and with the school that you're working in so everything works there's a school a primary school so uh, the John Taylor School is a secondary, but there's a primary school that we work with in Wandsworth. Um, the head teacher knew that she was going to need to make cuts. And so she invited in all her staff, talked to them all, asked them what they needed. Some of them, hugely loyal, wanted said, oh, no, we'll cut our hours. And she, you know, humanely said, you're a young teacher, you're going to need money for a mortgage. You're going to stay working, you know, <laughs> full time. Um, but some of her more senior staff who are older and perhaps had other interests, she said, sure, you know, why don't we move it so that you're kind of doing your job in four days because you have the you know you're able to do that and she herself uh began to work nine out of ten days she made a saving of sort of sixty thousand pounds um they changed almost the model of teaching the year group so instead of having there are two form entry so instead of having um kind of one teacher per class the children began to see those three teachers as their teachers so it wasn't like this is my teacher and this is my teacher and then this is the kind of spare teacher that only works one of these days and yes. um, the year group had three teachers and those teachers between them worked worked out you know the timing the hours i think they kind of all, each of them work point six um overwhelmingly she's not paid for cover for a whole year she has no requests for leaving early because the teachers work it out between themselves and um and i guess yeah so the biggest thing that comes out of all of this is that these teachers feel trusted they feel empowered and then guess what they pay back in loyalty to the school they stay they you know they there's and the, and the benefit to the children of that is is huge
0: well you hit on a really important point there lucy about budgets because uh, increasingly um the budgets are under pressure and a lot of schools are in deficit at this time and looking to make savings so it feels like a smart way to make savings. Are there any risks to that? Am I missing anything there? I don't, I mean, it's
1: one of the things that we always talk about um, when we're trying to measure our success, because at the moment, having a big data set of how does having flexible staff impact, you know, your pupil outcomes, that's one of the, trickiest things to measure right what's going into a school and what's making a difference to the children in the end is, is really hard to do particularly I mean this year with all of the other inputs have been happening so um one of the things that we always say is let's start let's make an audit of what are you spending on cover what are your what's your annual long-term you know sick leave or amount of sick days that staff are taking let's have a look at um yeah how much you're spending on supply and recruitment and then let's kind of reduce that down. And we don't have a big enough data set, but we know that once start, once her teachers begin to ask those questions, um, and once they begin to kind of talk to staff about what their preferred working pattern would be, people already immediately feel much more empowered, and absence goes down, um, and so they're they're automatically paying less
0: on um, on cover. That's incredible. It just seems. It's no brainer, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say it feels like a no brainer. Ask people what they want. And then used really powerful word, their trust. Does that become a, a an, well, it seems like it's a very important part of this.
1: When we look in other sectors, and we're trying to, com, you know, do that kind of convincing piece, the sort of hearts and minds to to head teachers, because head teachers are understandably cautious, right? Why am I going to bring something in that I, and I don't know what the impact is going to be. And they've also got a lot going on. And you know, this year, particularly, everything is very busy. But if you're saying to people, what is going to make my staff feel more empowered and want to give more back? Um, and, and overwhelmingly, you know, the research is show that you trust them. How better to trust them than to say, I know that when you're not physically in the building, you, you're getting stuff done. You know, I can I can trust you to walk out when the children walk out. I don't need to kind of keep you here for the core hours because I because I trust you. You know, I trust that you're going to get the work done. When we talk about flexible working, we will say that it's, um, uh, and this is, I think, a time-wise, I should credit them because they've done a huge amount of work, but it, it, flexible working is choosing uh, when and how and then to a certain extent where you where you work. So if you're able to kind of give that to people, um, they feel trusted, you know, and and the benefit of that to them and then um, to the organisation is huge.
0: And... I imagine that because of the way things have panned out this year, that, you know, with so much more going on online, that that heads would have more confidence knowing that teachers have done this. They have worked uh, off the school premises a lot. Have you seen it, um, that trust has improved because of that?
1: So it's been, it has been really interesting to see the reaction, but firstly, because um, and OK, so firstly, let's just say that this has not been a rehearsal for flexible working at all no. because people have been, you know, in, in extreme situations at home, kind of homeschooling plus job plus whatever. So we're not saying that this has been a rehearsal, but some of the logistical things that prior to COVID were seen as impossible. You cannot attend this meeting remotely. Um, You know, we need you in the in the meeting. We need you in the building. It was like overnight, and I say this with the experience of my own school too, you know, I had been asking to, to be able to attend um, a briefing in the morning on a Thursday for two or three years, you know, and I'd spoken to the, the ITT and to the IT department. Is there any way that I can possibly attend this Thursday morning briefing when I have a late start? No, I don't know how we're ever going to do that. <laughs>
0: overnight you know this
1: this team's thing that everyone clicks away every morning on their computer like what is this you know it's been there the whole time and we could have it could have been used so we're always looking for silver lining so there's a bit of a silver lining of covid is that lots of those logistical things have been proven to be um just kind of impossible um so overnight they just became possible and Mm. yeah that's been that's been great in terms of trust i think some head teachers absolutely have reacted and realized, you know maybe that bit of time between three thirty and five is not the most productive time to retain staff on site. you know, maybe um, you know well-being is bespoke, right? So people could be doing all kinds of things, whether it's going to, I don't know the best gym class, their flower arranging, you know, yoga, running, walking, just leaving early. there's something quite lovely about being able to walk out. Yeah, you know when the children walk out and feeling, especially in those dark winter months, just seeing a bit of the daylight, mm. um, and knowing that you will then finish that work or complete whatever task it is later on. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, we know that teachers already do that. Teachers and leaders, of course, already work in the evenings and weekend without that being demanded of them. They just do it. It's they they see it as being part of the job. So, mm-hmm. offering that additional piece of flexibility seems. Wise, yeah. So, what are the issues around the current model that that schools would typically work?
1: So, I guess the model at the moment is that schools would react to individual requests from individual teachers. We know that thirty percent of people wouldn't make a request simply because they think it won't be accepted. So, we've we've got the issue on the one hand of of um, of the head teacher's opinion being an issue, but we've also got the issue the teachers themselves imposing kind of an idea on their organization that it just simply won't be um, accepted Um, so it takes a bit of confidence takes a bit of resilience to ask we talk sometimes about the workplace lottery that um, depending on who your head teacher is and how well um, they're going to receive this request that can be quite a big ask and then the second thing is that often people are making those requests at the most vulnerable time so they're pregnant their parents are ill they've just recently bereaved or they've got their own some of their own health concerns and so you're asking people to kind of go in and ask for something which is unusual in a workplace when they are like overtired sick unwell vulnerable Mm -hmm. um even if it's then offered it's up to that person or those people on your staff, possibly your most vulnerable two or three staff members, to kind of prove that flexible working can work. Mm. And so, you know, when we quite understand when head teachers say to us, look, we did it once, we had a job share, it didn't work. And it's like, okay, uh, I can I can see why it didn't, you know, what if you offered it to everyone and then it becomes a kind of commonplace. This is just how we do things around here. Um and then your your most vulnerable teachers are always supported if something happens and they need to work more flexibly for whatever reason.
0: And you mentioned earlier about the, the problems you mentioned just now about the, the head teacher might have had a bad experience of it. And you addressed the floodgates issue by, by just asking people, what about the issue around the timetable? And that feels like a real sticky one from, from colleagues I know in schools and experiences I've had where Perhaps one feels like they're doing more work than the other or what happens when that goes wrong? You know, because you've painted a really, really encouraging picture of what can happen when it goes right. How do head teachers deal with it when it goes wrong?
1: So I think um, the key thing is how you plan for it. Right. So school leaders are notoriously great at planning for for all kinds of changes think what's just what's happening right now you know we're going back on the 8th of March and everybody's mobilized and there's a plan in place and um, you know schools will be talking to everyone in their staff to ensure that every single base is covered when people do a job share it's often oh that's handy she's coming back from maternity they go those guys can work together um, and almost we sometimes talk about the semantics and the wording of all of these things like part-time does that mean I'm part committed you know part invested part no it doesn't if I'm in a job share it's so much more than sharing a job um, and actually the skills that you need to be able to have a successful and we call it a talent partnership because we think that's much more reflective of what it is are really mature skills you know you have to be able to communicate really well you have to be able to trust the other person you have to be able to both take responsibility for the things that either one of you have done that's a really mature thing to be able to do and you also have to have to be able to share the credit for something that you've both done and when we've when there's genuine collaboration when it's a genuine partnership those things work really well and it doesn't take a lot of preparation you know a lot of the time it's a bit like when you share a class with somebody and you might uh, and class sharing is becoming more and more commonplace particularly in the core area where you've got kind of maybe sometimes more like five six periods dedicated for each year group for um for english or math so you're having to share classes a lot more frequently. Um, And if there's a bit of preparation done about that, you know, how do you feel about sharing the class with that person? And as well as the logistics of who's actually going to be in the room on that day, then that can be a hugely beneficial, like pedagogical discussion every week about the progress of those children Mm -hmm. that maybe you haven't had since, I don't know, since you were an NQT. Um, And so a bit of preparation is absolutely crucial. And there's lots of organisations out there who do these things already. So like Capability Jane have got a wonderful document that we always send to people who are about to do a co-leadership role. Um, And it just sort of lays out, you know, are you doing kind of a a split, a a job split where you have responsibility and accountability for different parts? Or are you in essence, the same person? Is it a genuine job share where, you know, whatever day it is, um, it doesn't matter who's there, you're both kind of, treated like the same person so like Lindsay and myself today for example yes you can be here and I'm I'm just her but you know um and that's so we I guess we work on a kind of job share rather than a job split
0: yeah well for those who obviously don't know I was I was due to uh do the podcast with Lindsay your your co-founder today and Lindsay wasn't feeling well this morning so Lucy stepped in at the last minute to 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 do the podcast with us so it's amazing how seamlessly that happened this morning you you just stepped up and uh, I'm sure Lindsay will pay you back in some way with but then (laughs)
1: that's it isn't it right so it's like share she knows that we share and it's about value sharing it's about a lot more than just logistically being able to be here on time so I suppose that's that's the preparation that doesn't normally go into those things um you also talked about the timetable Mm. um and we we talk about the the historic, okay, firstly, there's some really skilled timetablers out there. I'm not down on timetablers at all. I think they do an amazing job. Mm-hmm. But there's certainly, and I certainly have worked with and in schools where there, there's a kind of ivory tower timetable situation, where they maybe even have more power than their teacher. And we would say that that is such an outdated model. Because firstly, technology has moved on a huge amount. So organisations like, like EDVAL, have algorithm software where you can tell the software, you know, these are all the different things. I don't want year 11 to be moving around after lunch. I'd rather have the core for year nine. I don't know, all of, all of the first lessons, any kind of detail that you might want to give to your software, which obviously you can give to a timetabler as well. But the beauty of the software is that at a touch of a button. I can change one thing. I'm not going to go back and it takes another four weeks while I sort of, you know, work it all out again. And so algorithm software exists, which means that you can look at a huge amount of different models in a very short space of time um, and agree on the best one for your school. And it also means that a lot more people are involved in the timetabling process. So it's a kind of thought leadership process. Um, I've become a bit geeky about timetables. I won't go into too loads of detail, <laughs> but I would say check out Edval because a lot of the work they've done hasn't just improved know timetabling and it isn't just beneficial for flexible working but it helps with with bullying and all kinds of things in terms of like spaces that are used in the school so um they've done a lot of research and i and i think that algorithm software plus just you know looking at a timetable in a different way um means that the flexibility doesn't have to be um have to be an issue
0: that's incredible. I I often think, how on earth <laughs> does a timetable even approach this task? It's over my head completely. But yeah, these new technologies exist, and so let's let's use them. Lucy, feels like we're we it's it's time to wrap up. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention that we haven't covered so far?
1: Just that not to be like to be curious about it, um, not to be frightened about asking your staff to ask for help if you need it. Like we're here. I yeah, I don't. I just yeah, just I just ask, I think we always just say, just ask your staff, ask your staff what they need, and you'll be. I think you'll always be pleasantly surprised by
0: their response. I've been speaking with Lucy Rose. You can connect with Lucy on Twitter at flex teach talent and also loose association. All of these are in the show notes in case you're driving or cooking or something and you can't make notes, as well as all of the other things that Lucy has mentioned. Uh, and Lindsay is at mumsy me. And their website is flexibleteachertalent.co.uk. Lucy, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks very much.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.